Hello. Welcome to the Daily Cron for Friday, March 1st, 2019. I'm Steve Tolton. So it's Friday. We're going into the weekend, and I'm still kind of recovering from a cold. So I figure we're going to talk about something fun tonight, at least fun for me. We're going to talk about the Orville and Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> uh, because last night had a really amazing episode of the Orville. So if you're not familiar with either of these shows, Star Trek Discovery is the latest official Star Trek show. It's on the um, CBS streaming service, which I'm currently paying for, and I feel kind of bad about it because it's just terrible, terrible service. But I wanted to legally watch Star Trek Discovery. And at the same time, you have on Fox, I believe, you have the Orville, which is Seth MacFarlane's take on a Star Trek-like universe. It's like heavily inspired by Star Trek The Next Generation. You can see that everywhere in it, in the in terms of how it, how the the um, their Federation analog, the Union planets is, and how their ships like are are brightly lit, and you have a bridge crew, and you have type you know, have an ensemble cast. You kind of have exploration themes, and you know some of the, some of the topics of the episodes and such. So that's like much more of a Star Trek Next Generation feel. And Discovery though does not feel like Star Trek at all to me most of the time. So there's been a bit of a schism in the fan community between these two shows. So there's some of us that love the Orville and don't particularly like Discovery too much. And there's people that love Discovery and maybe don't really like Orville or and there's people in between. Now, you can like either show, both shows, neither show. I mean, as I said, I pay for CBS All Access, that craptacular service, in order to watch Discovery. And I do watch it every week. And I do find aspects of it to enjoy, especially season two. They made a lot of improvements. But I got to say, the Orville is just the more Star Trek type show, even though it's not officially Star Trek. And the last last night they had an episode, I think it was like Identity Part 2. It was like the, the second part of a two-parter, which really was the culmination of plot threads and character development that date back to the first episode of the series. which is like, you know, last year debuted, same time Discovery did. And I think that it's interesting that these two shows exist at the same time, and they're they're going for very different takes on Star Trek like universes, which I you know I find interesting. And I thought the last episode actually had a moment in there, which was which kind of sealed the deal for me. Like it really kind of explained to to me why. And so, uh, you know, I want to talk a little about that. But first, I was today at the um, the upper crust getting the lunch. Uh, because I figured some pizza would make me feel better as I'm trying to recover from my cold. And uh, it did, because it, it always does. It's upper crust pizza. Always makes you feel better. So I went, I went over there, and you know what's weird? That I'm uh, I'm doing this podcast now for two months, and I don't have a lot of listeners, but I'm in a small town, so <laughs> people listen to it. And I, I'm starting to get some feedback from people. So I got some nice feedback at the upper crust today from listeners of the show who enjoyed it. And I asked, you know, what kind of stuff you like to hear. So I got some some feedback about that. Because uh, this show is really just very experimental. And I'm just kind of throwing things at the wall here, seeing what is interesting to me, what's interesting to the audience. Uh, and I've been learning a lot in this process. And so it's nice to hear that people are actually listening to it. Because, it's, you know, I don't have great numbers. But they've been slowly ticking up. So that was, that was really nice. I, like, uh, I appreciate the uh, in-person feedback. But so far, no one's yelled at me for anything I've said on this podcast. So... That's also nice, but I expect I'll make somebody mad at some point. Maybe this episode, because the uh, uh, the fan community around Star Trek and the Orville can be pretty intense, you know. But again, I just want to say I'm going to get back to the main topic. But I want to say it's okay. You can like your thing. You can like Star Trek Discovery and hate the Orville, or vice versa, and 
it's we're, we're still cool. Okay, we're still cool. Like, there's enough room in the science fiction fan community for everyone to like everything. You know, I, I don't, I don't discriminate there. But I just want to say my personal take on why I like these two. So, um, uh, that was it for my little shout out to to the Upper Crust and to the the greater podcast listening community. But if you do want to give me feedback, uh, in person or 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 online, that's cool. I appreciate it. So, uh, back to the Orville and the uh, the Orville and Star Trek Discovery. So, if you've seen these shows, you probably know exactly what I mean when I say that the Orville feels like more Star Trek than than Discovery does. Uh, well, if you're in the same camp I am, anyway. But let me say, Star Trek Discovery has been controversial because since it debuted last year, it really felt like to a lot of fans, myself included, that it wasn't taking the license seriously. It wasn't. It it wasn't uh, a very. It didn't feel very Star Trek. Now the argument is that they're trying to take it in a new direction. That uh, the old way of of way Star Trek worked with an ensemble cast and a, a a kind of episodic nature and the um the view of humanity as this very enlightened you know f- force uh, you know generally for good and all that like they were they're, they're saying that's too simple too too simplistic or it just doesn't attract audiences now and so they wanted uh, a series that was very um very much like one long story and had more action in it and focused on a single main character point of view and so, I mean, yeah, I could see all the points they make, uh, defenders of the series. I just didn't like it too much. And a lot of the problems I had with Star Trek Discovery in the first season was, uh, you know, character-based. Like, I didn't like Michael Burnham that much because the character uh, just, like, acts in completely illogical, irrational ways in the beginning of the series. And then by the end of the series, is somehow, like, back in her former role, like, as a first officer. And you're like, what? Like, you know, and like they, and the main thing about, about Discovery is it violates canon all the time. So if you're like a canon person, you, you know, because the show takes place before Star Trek with Captain Kirk in it, right? Before that. And yet nothing makes sense technology wise. They do things like have a mutiny on the board of the, of the ship, which is how Michael Burns' character is like introduced. She does a mutiny. That's her bad thing she does in the beginning of the first season. And, um, and it's like, but they literally reference in, in like, uh, I think, f- original series that there had been no mutiny until that point. Like, like anyway, oh, Spock is her secret brother. Like, n- nothing makes sense on Star Trek Discovery. At this point, I just kind of uh, accept Star Trek Discovery as not really Star Trek. <laughs> like, it's called Star Trek. But in my mind, I kind of have my own headcanon. This is like an alternate reality or something. Because uh, if I try to reconcile it with everything that I know about Star Trek... It just pisses me off. And it pisses me off because I was such a huge fan of Star Trek The Next Generation. And the and specifically, the view of humanity in Star Trek The Next Generation. Okay? And so Roddenberry had a view of humanity that was basically, to boil it down, that humans would grow up and they would be live in this, uh, enlightened existences. Like, our society would be post-scarcity uh, and... We wouldn't have traditional monetary economics anymore. It would be much more, I guess, reputation-based. Um, at least that's what I gather, because I never really go into details about the economics in Star Trek. But, you know, people are striving to better themselves. They're explorers and scientists and such by nature. But you also see people who are, like in like in DS9, you saw Cisco's father runs a restaurant because he loves it. And obviously people work at the restaurant, so they must enjoy it. Uh, and you know, it's just like a world where humanity has gotten over a lot of our differences and is generally a rational 
group of people that is enlightened and diverse and welcoming of diversity, welcoming of other species into the Federation. And so the Orville takes that and kind of runs with it. So they have the Planetary Union, which is made up of all these planets, and they have a diverse group of main characters from different species, some of which are just completely non-human, which is something you couldn't really do well on Star Trek because of effects issues. Um, it's still mostly you know people in costume, but they, they have one like CGI officer on the Orville who's essentially a blob. <laughs> You know, but they actually have uh, multiple episodes with him. They they develop his character and his relationships with other main characters on the show. So he's like a real fleshed out person in that universe, uh, which is cool. But the Orville takes this uh, the stance, in my opinion, that it's that uh, it's much more in line with the view from that I at least I felt from at least the next generation uh, that humanity was an evolved, um, rational, enlightened people at this point in history that. They acknowledge all the horrible things we've done in our past. We've had slavery. We had wars. We, you know, we did all this stuff. But that for the most part, while imperfect, human beings are striving f- to be better. And we've, you know, are at the center of this uh, galactic union of other, you know, planets that are also, like, enlightened. And, uh, and, and you know, that I like that because it's aspirational. It's not supposed to be... Like hundred, the most realistic necessarily. Like it's it's not supposed to be like people from today on these spaceships. It's supposed to be people who are decidedly better than we are. <laughs> like that was always the impression I got from Star Trek. So the Orville takes that and they do a he does a little bit of twist. Seth Farin. The the people on the Orville are a little bit more relatable. They add some humor in there, some of which I don't like. Like I thought the first season had some cringeworthy jokes in there, but over time I think they pulled back on that a little bit and and it's kind of grown on me the idea that. Uh, these are more three-dimensional characters. So while they are enlightened at all, they're also uh, people, and they tell jokes, and they have practical jokes on each other and, and that kind of thing, and uh, it really makes them more uh, relatable. So the Orville has this enlightened view of humanity that's also still, I think, pretty relatable. Whereas on Discovery, you know, it's supposedly Star Trek, but it's like characters that constantly violate their ideals, like, and it feels like without good cause often. It's supposed to be a complex... Um, type of uh of Star Trek, but it never really gelled for me. The first season is pretty much a war with the Klingons, which makes no sense and is caused by Michael Burnham. Uh and the second season is like some kind of wild goose chase about some weird signals they're finding around the galaxy and a lot of action sequences. Uh but I would say if I have to give uh, I have to give Discovery props for at least trying better in, in season two, better captain, uh, less like, like a little bit more ensemble focus, which is good. Cause I think some of the side characters are the, uh, besides Michael Burnham are like really much more interesting and it's good to see them get some more spotlight. Uh, some of the sci-fi elements are pretty cool. Some of the high concept stuff they've done discovery this season, very cool. Uh, but ultimately it still suffers from a lot of the same problems it had the first year where canon doesn't make sense where characters don't make sense. They make weird decisions. So last night on the Orville, I thought that there was a perfect example of, of why I like the Orville more than the like Discovery. So on Discovery, we had this episode where there's like a weird time anomaly and they have, they're going to investigate it. And the captain decides that he's going to go and investigate this time anomaly in a shuttle because they can't do it for Technobabble with a, they can't do it with a probe for Technobabble reasons. So they send him. And so he decides that he's the best person for the job. And it's pointed out to him, like, maybe you shouldn't do this. 
because you're the captain, right? It's like a running gag on Star Trek that the captain always uh, would would go on like away missions, at least in the original series. Um, later in Next Gen, I I remember distinctly like it, they did a lot more where the first officer went on these away missions and Picard would stay on the bridge where you're supposed to be if you're the captain. They actually had multiple episodes in Next Generation where the captain had to make tough decisions, and they actually called that explicitly about how sometimes you have to send people to their death and that kind of deal. Which brings me back to to last night's episode in a minute because the discovery the captain decides he's going to do this it's brought up to him that maybe this is a bad idea because you're the captain you should like you know be on the bridge because we're dealing with like some bizarre anomaly and we're gonna need your leadership but no no he's like i'm gonna go anyway i'm gonna bring this other guy with me <laughs> and so they go on the shuttle and of course they get trapped over there and they have to use techno babble woo woo in order to find them uh and stuff happens and then they're at the end they they get back and they're like whoa uh what was that i don't know <laughs> you know and like nothing really happens in the show frankly and there's a whole b plot that's even less important but basically very little happens in the show that moves a plot forward or any kind of real character development and the captain acts completely weird like completely out of character for a distinguished uh captain of you know because he's originally captain pike he's like the uh original captain of the enterprise before kirk and it's like like and for most of the series so far he's been very captain like you know I mean, he makes good decisions, stays cool under pressure and all. But in this episode, they decided, nah, we really got to get him in this weird situation. I, I don't know. So, because, so they could have stakes, I guess. But it, was, it felt very artificial to me. And where at the same time on the Orville, we had the culmination of this arc, that, uh, of these, these plot arc and character development that date back to the first episode of season one. It, it surrounds Isaac, who's the android or robot um, character is actually an ai from a whole planet of ai um you know robots and they're interested in joining planetary union so they send isaac as like an ambassador and he's supposed to study organics and report back to them and then eventually they'll make the decision about whether they're going to join and the planetary union wants uh isaac's people to join because they have a common enemy or they have an enemy called the krill who uh it's kind of like the romulans and slash klingons or something from star trek and they're very different uh than than the humans are or than the planetary union are they're not they're very like they're they're very much not welcoming of other cultures and um species and they're very religious and they're very much like um they look down upon other species that don't follow their beliefs at, le- at least up to this point in the series and uh so they're they're always at kind of like a like a a warm cold war level with them and so they they there's a scene now where the uh, you know, Isaac's people, it's not really a spoiler because, you know, these last two episodes have had trailers about this, but the um, the Orville is taken over by the robots, right? By Isaac's people. And everybody's in the shuttle bay trapped. And there's a plan to get help from the Krill because they're the closest people to where they are. And the, and at this point, the uh, Isaac's people have a big armada and they're heading towards Earth. And if they don't, they don't warn them, then, you know, they're going to kill everybody on the planet. So they, uh, they, they're like, okay, we're going to go try to get the Krill to help us. And so there's a scene which I thought was really apt, which kind of mirrors the scene from Discovery where the captain goes and goes on the crazy dangerous mission. So the captain on the Orville says uh, that he volunteers himself to go on this crazy suicide mission. They even say, like, this is probably a suicide mission because the Krill are mo- most likely just going to shoot you when they see you because they don't like humans. Um, and, uh, and it's pointed out to him, like, Captain, you can't go because they need you here. Because this situation needs you here. If you go, like, it's going to make things worse. Like we can't have that. So, and, and he takes, and he takes a moment and then he admits, yeah, that you're right. I can't go. So 
but what's what's interesting about the show is because they spent so much time building up the character relationships here, I think far better actually than they have on Discovery. Um, just because they had more episodes where they're focused specifically on relationship development of the characters. And I understand actually why they, they did that this season, because they were basically saving money. That's one of the reasons why, because they didn't need to do all the special effects. But they um they, they built up all these relationships. So now you're at a point where the captain realizes he can't go and do this mission. And he wants to be the self-sacrificing you know, um, person, but he's like, he can't. What he needs to do, he needs to be here to deal with that problem. So who's going to go? The two people most important to him in the world, <laughs> like his, his like ex-wife and his best friend. And, you know, they're going to go in the shuttle and they, they know in that moment that this could be the last time they see each other. But they do it anyway because they are like uh, the Star Trek archetypes of they are enlightened, well-trained uh, people doing what needs to be done. And you, as an audience member, actually feel for the, for the situation. Uh, if you've watched the show from the beginning, you're, you know, you're like, wow, I mean, this is, this is kind of intense. I mean, yes, a meta level, you know that they're, they're going to be okay, because otherwise the plot would not work, because it's not like a series finale. But, you know, if you try to put aside your meta-analysis of the overall TV show you're watching and just try to stay in the moment, it, it's actually a pretty powerful moment. There's actually another moment in the episode where they, they, they basically have to take, a, take a, one of the kids, one of the children of, of, of the doctor, has to help with a dangerous situation because uh, for some reason the Orville <laughs> has uh, has like uh, crawl spaces that are only big enough for children to crawl through. I don't really understand this. I feel like this is a design flaw. <laughs> you know, your engineers can't actually get access to the uh, <laughs> engineering ducts. Maybe there's something wrong there. I don't know. Maybe they just use robots or something. I have no idea. But anyway, so they, they need a kid. They need the kid who to fit in there and do something later in the episode. And you're like, wow, that's like, that's uh intense right there because the kid's going to be put into mortal danger because they had already established that the um Isaac's people would kill people on this on this sh- on this ship and they did like they they literally killed member members of the crew on the ship pretty graphically for you know a Fox you know TV show um but you know so th- it, it, the stakes were th- real they felt real in the Orville uh if you stood and stay in the moment we're on discovery the whole episode was like what is happening why <laughs> Techno babble, techno babble, exciting music, strange robot thing appears, tentacles, like what is happening? And then it just kind of ends. You're like, okay, that was weird. And, uh, and it, it doesn't, you know, I, for me anyway, I never feel much of anything for the characters on Discovery. Like I just don't care about any of them. I don't really know much about most of them. Um, the only character that's actually interesting on Discovery for me is like Saru, who's like the alien first officer. Um, but even there, they had an episode that focused on him and his home planet like a week ago or two weeks ago, and it was decidedly awful in a lot of ways because, again, it had characters doing things that didn't make any sense if you were a Starfleet officer. Whereas on the Orville, they're very consistent, actually, with the, the character's development. Like it's, I think the writing is just literally better on the Orville. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> the Seth MacFarlane show has better writing, but it does, in my opinion. It has better writing. Um, better action sequences. Speaking of action sequences, like it, its effects are not as good as Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery has a really amazing look to it, but Orville, I think, has better directed action sequences. And they had the best space battle in this last episode that uh, I've seen in years on TV. Like it was intense. It involved uh, different capital level ships and medium sized ships and fighters. It had moments between characters. Uh, it had some interesting ship designs in there. It was really cool. 
and obviously where they spent all of their effects budget for the season, which explains why we had all these episodes that were very relationship focused this season. Because I, you know, and I imagine that the remainder of the season is not going to be particularly uh, um, CGI heavy either, because <laughs> they use a lot. But anyway, on um, back on the Orville, I mean that that scene with the uh, with the captain, you know, realizing that he can't go and instead sending off uh, his some of his closest people to potentially to their death. Like that, I think, just kind of shows that like that the the Orville is a show that takes its universe and its and its universe building and its character development very seriously, and it, it roots it very firmly in the ideals of a Star Trek like next gen type of universe where human beings are better than frankly than we are now. Like they're supposed to be, they're a little more relatable than next gen people are. So I think a lot. Of, I think that actually helps get people into the show who maybe weren't the biggest Star Trek fans before. Uh, and it, it has d- deals with like some dark stuff in Orville. I think it, it actually, one of the things about Orville is that it makes it more interesting to me than discovery is they've tackled with a lot of, in, a lot of like complicated issues. Um, you know, that especially they use, they, they, in classic kind of Star Trek like fashion, they use the alien non-human non-humans on the show and their different, um, uh, the the differences of their cultures versus versus like the human cultures to uh, to highlight different topics, you know, like they have multiple episodes with like the um, was he the security officer second second officer something who who's like kind of like a Klingon type alien, I don't know, but he his his world is all male, and there's a whole episode where his uh, child. Uh, is born female, and they want to do like a, um, uh, a sex reassignment surgery, and there's a conflict between you know the two, the two partners about it, and it, and it becomes this big like kind of international thing because he's on the Orville, and the Orville, you know, can't you know the Orville has its own policies, and the people have their policies, and they have to respect that you know they have this there's this complicated thing of like who who's whose culture do we respect? Like what do we do and and then the way it got resolved was also, I think, kind of gutsy, and it had um, repercussions later on. Like that, that, that one event, I mean, would be huge if because if you and your partner had a a huge conflict about what to do with your child, like to, whether to have them ha- have major surgery or something done to them, which is going to alter their trajectory of their life, and you had a fundamental disagreement about this, but one side wins in this argument, and the other side doesn't. And you know you never actually agree on this, but one side wins and and prevails. That's going to put stress on your partnership, your marriage, right? And that plays out in the show. It plays out in interesting ways later on in the show. So the the Orville does the, this balancing act where they they actually introduce some rather compelling and interesting uh, plots, and they bring in the main characters, and then they keep track of the consequences in a more logical fashion. So every week is not just a complete reset of these characters. It's it is episodic, usually, but at the same time, there's a continuity of character development, which I I think is probably what I find the most satisfying about the show. That if you invest the time to watch it, you're watching these characters grow and change rather quickly. Actually, for a a show like this, it's only been on one like one and a half seasons or so, and yet. You know, they there's a, been a lot of change uh, uh, of these characters. We're on Discovery. I feel like practically nothing's changed with those characters. Like I can't. 
I mean, Saru is the only one who had some real significant character change. Uh, sort of. But Michael Burnham, not really. She's still kind of a jerk. <laughs> you know, you know, I don't really think she really changed that much. Uh, other characters were killed off once their character arcs changed. Um, I mean, yeah, I just, I just don't see a lot of very obvious character arcs on that show on Discovery. That show is more focused on the plot, which is at least season two it is, and that's fine. Like I, I'm more of a plot person usually, but the plot is so convoluted at this point on Discovery that it's it's hard to care. <laughs> but over on the Orville, it's it's like the the stakes are high and the and the plot, even though the plots are simpler, you know, it's not an, a season long weird time travel plot thing with galactic repercussions. It's it's actually so far been mostly episodic character pieces, and then you get this two-parter, which changes the entire status quo of the universe and the relationships of the of the main characters. And so it, it almost comes out of nowhere. And then, But then when you're watching, you realize that, no, it doesn't come out of nowhere. This has actually been uh, well, like, you know, choreographed for a while. Uh, so that's why I really like the Orville. I highly recommend the Orville. If you're at all interested in Star Trek, like Star Trek, the next generation era Star Trek, like if you just loved TNG, uh, I think you'll really love the Orville if you give it a chance. It 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 feels like coming home when I watch that show. Uh, whereas Star Trek Discovery, I think you'll really enjoy Star Trek Discovery if you're looking for something very different than traditional Star Trek, but still kind of has a Star Trek vibe to it. And it also has some of the best special effects on TV. Like, I mean, some of those, the space sequences, incredible the cinematography on discovery is absolutely uh beautiful like it it, it feels like each episode is kind of like its own movie in in that respect it looks great feels great and that and the, the the look of it the sound design is is excellent i just feel like it's a little weaker on character development and i think it suffers in the plot department but it's definitely a big improvement from season one so if you jump if you jump in discovery season two i think you'll be fine you can essentially ignore most of season one uh because it's like season two is almost like a soft reset of the whole series. Uh, I think for good reasons, because season one was such a mess. But Discovery is is, its own, is a good show in its own respect, but if I have to pick the two, I prefer the direction that the Orville is taking, which I never thought I would ever say in my life, that, <laughs> that I would prefer a Seth MacFarlane vehicle to actual official Star Trek. But that, that's the world we live in in 2019. Up. You know, up is down, and dogs and cats live together, and marshmallow men are, you know, wrecking downtown New York or something. It's a lame Ghostbusters reference, if you didn't get it. Yeah. I am that nerdy. Anyway, that's going to be it for this Friday. I am, uh, I hope you liked my rambling about uh, Star Trek and the Orville, and if you didn't, uh, I apologize. No, I don't, because it was fun for me. (laughs) If you have any comments about the Orville, about Star Trek Discovery, about shows I should check out, if you vehemently disagree with me, if you uh, vehemently uh, agree with me, whatever the take, why don't you let me know? We can make this more of an interactive thing. My contact information can be found at dailycronpodcast.com. That's dailycronpodcast.com. You can also see a little, uh, in, in case you didn't realize this, I put a different photo in each episode. Uh, at least I've been doing that so far. So you get to see like my photo of the day, as well as get all the links for each episode when I have links, which is most of the time. Although not really today, I guess. But, uh, so there you go. So I hope you have a great weekend. I uh, will talk to you again on 
Monday. See you later.